Listen, this morning we're going to jump into something for the next few weeks. We're going to start it today. It's a series I want to preach that God gave us several months ago when we were preparing our heart for the fall and for the end of the summer, asking God what he was saying. God began to speak to our hearts about spiritual DNA, about being a part of the family of God. And I'm going to start a series this morning called Ancestry.God. How many know that we came from God, those of us who are born again? And today I'm going to lay a real simple foundation, but I'm going to talk about being in Christ for the next several weeks. I am praying that a spirit of wisdom and revelation settle in on this congregation, that people who have been struggling with bondage, sin, and, and, and this whole thing of uh, uh, self, uh, it, it's almost like you don't know who you are. I am praying that a spirit of wisdom and revelation come on this body in such a way that people begin to know who they are in Christ and that knowledge produces a kind of victory and a kind of breakthrough that, that empowers everything we do and changes everything that's going on in our life. Wherever you're living in your Christianity right now, I want you to know there is room for God to reveal more. And it is this increasing revelation that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. He prayed, he said, I pray that your eyes be open and your understanding be enlightened. Some of you don't know who you are. Some of you watching on live stream today, you don't know who you are. I believe it's my assignment over the next few weeks to talk about who we are in Christ. And before we get to who we are in Christ, we have to go back and we have to reach back and understand where some of these problems we're dealing with come from. How many in here have some problems? Okay, how many are alive? Then let me ask you, how many are dealing with some problems? How, how, many, how many people in this room that are saved, tongue-talking, glory-experiencing, you know the power of God is real, but you still got some stuff you're working on? I want to talk about why we have to keep on working on this stuff that we're working on and, and what it is because I believe God gave some revelation and insight for this Ancestry.God. Today, I'm going to begin this series, Ancestry.God, and I'm going to preach a sermon today called The Adams Family. How many in here know what I'm talking about? I, I was totally shocked. Can we throw a picture of that up? Do you have the big picture? Uh, how many ever seen that sitcom before? Okay, let me ask this question. How many have never heard of the Adams family before? All these young people. Okay, see, this is what I was, my sons, and they were like, what is the Adams family? I'm like, where you been? I am a failure of a father. The Adams family, they're, they're creepy and they're spooky. They're really kind of kooky. Never mind. Okay. Leave it to the Latino sisters on the front row. Da-da-da-da. Look at somebody tell them, we are all a part of the Adams family. All right, I want you to go to two places, Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. How many love the Word of God? I said, how many love the Word? Romans chapter 5, for a few moments today, I'm going to preach on the Adams family. Let's start with Romans chapter 5, Chad, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
This is the Passion Translation. I love reading this translation. I don't usually preach out of it, but you're going to hear me preach out of it a little bit more. It was a, it was a translation that was um, created by a spirit-filled man who had a heart to really go after what the Spirit of God was trying to say in the text, and I have enjoyed reading it. It's powerful. I want us to read Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through a couple of scriptures here today in the Passion. Can you read this with me off the screen? Get this in your heart. Let's read. When Adam sinned, come on family, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Keep going. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them where no law existed. Verse 14. Yet death reigned as a king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken a command the way Adam had. The first man, everybody say the first man. Everybody say the first man. The first man, Adam, was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. Next verse. Now, there is no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift far out. I think we ought to read that one one more time. The magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. It's true that many died because of one man's transgression. But how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of what one man, Jesus the Messiah, did for us. And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with the words. Here we go. Listen to this. Death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as a king over humanity. But now, somebody say, but now. How much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus the Messiah. Somebody give God praise for his word this morning. Go to 1 Corinthians real quick. I know this is a lot of scripture, but you know, you didn't come to hear chicken soup for the Christian soul. You came to hear the word of God today. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. For as it is written, the first man, everybody say the first man. Adam became a living soul, but the last Adam, I wish I could find somebody to say the last Adam. The last Adam became the life-giving spirit. Next verse. However, the spiritual didn't come first. The natural precedes the spiritual. The first man was from the dust of the earth. The second man is the Lord Jehovah 
from the realm of heaven. Next verse. The first Adam made from dust has a race of people just like him who are also made from dust. The one sent from heaven has a race of heavenly people who are just like him. Once we carried the likeness of the man of dust, but now let us carry the likeness of the man. I'm about to run. Anybody want to run with me for joy today? Look at your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, we are a part of the Adams family. My good friend and his beautiful family with us today, Jason Daldrill, Sylvia, their boys. Can we welcome my pastor friend from, he's just up the road a little bit. They pastor a tremendous church. They're on vacation and decided to come sit with us and be with us. And I just wanted him to know how much we love him and his family. One more time, tell him you love him and say a prayer over him. We're going to pray. We're going to jump into the Word. Jesus, help me teach today and preach. And I pray revelation would come by the Holy Spirit to the hearts of your people, setting at liberty those that are in bondage today and bringing a new life to those who feel dead on the inside. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that those who are churchy are going to get really, really delivered from religion, and they're going to get baptized in the love and the power of God in a way that sets them free forever. And, Father, we're never going to be bitten by the snake of religion again. We're going to walk in freedom in Christ and know what it feels like to be washed in the blood, saved by grace, and really a kingdom citizen. Do that for us today, Jesus. We pray in your name, and everyone said amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I shared with you some time ago about my desire to trace my ancestral roots so that I could find out where I came from and a little bit about my DNA and my ancestry and my people. And while we were praying several months ago about this time of the year, what we would preach, this whole thing about spiritual identity came to me and I was remembering and even in one of the meetings I was on Ancestry.com. Has anybody in here other than me checked your Ancestry out through Ancestry.com or one of those? There's a couple different ones now. And I was sitting there looking at my family tree. It keeps growing every week. And I keep finding out more and more about my family and where I came from. And while I'm sitting there and I'm looking at Ancestry.com, we're, we're in one of our meetings about pastor's meetings and I start thinking, I think... Well, Mari, one of the pastors said something about, we need to talk about spiritual DNA, and it hit me. We need to talk about our spiritual ancestry because some of us don't know where we're going in our future if we don't know where we came from in our past. Now, I don't want us to live in our past or dwell on our past or become a prisoner of our past, but I do want us to understand that there are some things about our past that can give us great understanding so that we know how to move into the future God wants us to move into. You don't have to be a prisoner of your past. You don't have to be a prisoner of where you came from. You don't have to be bound by, by, by things in your closet that you think are going to reach up and grab you and pull you back. If your family was full of sin, if your family was full of drugs, if your family was full of alcoholism, if your family was full of, uh, of, of all kind of evil, I want to just let you know that according to the book of Ezekiel, God does not visit the children for the sins of the parents. 
In John chapter 9, they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither did this man sin, nor was it the sin of his parents that caused him to be born blind. We've got this thing in the church that we believe everything that happens that is bad happens as a result of somebody's sin or the sins of somebody in their family. When the blood intercepts the sin of your life, I want to tell you, it cuts that sin off, and it no long, that sin no longer has the ability to reign over your future, your children's future, or your children's children. If, if you came through a jacked-up family tree, it is not indicative that your, the rest of your life is going to be jacked up, because if the blood sets you free, you're free indeed. And you don't have to live your entire life feeling like a victim, a helpless victim of being, of being brought out of a family that was crazy and kooky like the Adams family. You, 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 really can, you really can become something greater than what you came out of as long as you go through Jesus Christ. So, so, so I, I want to talk about roots and I want to talk about your spiritual ancestry and I'm going to talk about being born of God for the next few weeks. I'm going to talk about being born of the Spirit. I'm going to talk about new thinking and new mentalities and new ways of living and, and how being born again really shapes our life. But before I got to all that, it occurred to me, if I'm really going to do justice to this entire uh, uh, series, then one thing I'm going to have to do is to remind you and I of the family that we belong to originally because that could explain some of our problems. I find it sad and humorous all at the same time, sad and humorous all at the same time, that as much as Satan does his best to divide us, and I'm not talking about us as a church, I'm talking about us as a race, us as a people. How many know Satan seeks to exploit the differences um, that we have in, in and among people uh, to divide us? And, and obviously the most obvious that we could talk about is the whole issue of color. How many know that, that, that in so many minds, among so many people, so many different groups of people are known by the color of their skin? Can I tell you that, that as sad and sometimes humorous and frustrating all at the same time, we're really all one big family. Now, I know some of y'all don't want to hear this because you like your difference, but I'm going to tell you right now, everybody, if you trace it back, everybody really does come from the same father. I don't care how different, different and, and we know each other by our differences, but the reality is, is as a race of humanity, we all came from Adam and Eve. Trace it back. Look at it. We all came from Adam and Eve. There wasn't four or five different people that started a family. There was one man and one woman that started a family. And I want you to know that in Genesis, when God started that family through that man and that woman, everything was perfect, but it did not stay that way. Now, you've heard me teach and preach on Genesis before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that except to briefly reacquaint you with what happened in the text in Genesis chapter 3. God created man in his image, put man to sleep, said it wasn't good for man to be alone, put man to sleep. While man was asleep, he took a rib from the side of man. He did not take a rib. He did not take a bone from the head of man or the foot of man because the woman he intended to create was not supposed to be above him or beneath him. Woman was supposed to be beside him. And because God took this rib from the side of Adam and put him to sleep, when Adam was asleep, God took the rib, made a woman, a woman, say woman, woman. Woman is a wombed man, woman, womb man, woman, woman. That's where we get it from. It was a man, it was the man with the womb. Adam himself could not reproduce in himself. He needed a woman to help him reproduce. Why did he need woman to help him reproduce? Because that is how God intended for them to subdue and take dominion through offspring. 
God said, be fruitful and this is why, and, and I want to say this because I always get myself in trouble and I really shouldn't. I, I say this with all the love of God within me. There is no animus. There is no malice. There is no evil in my heart. This is why I lovingly teach that homosexuality is not God's way because homosexuality, if you follow it out to the nth degree, there can be no re reproduction in the homosexual movement. And if there is no re reproduction, who gets happy about that? Satan. Why would Satan be happy? Because as long as humanity is not reproducing, then eventually humanity could die off and Satan could take the whole earth back over. But the reason God called man and woman to come together in holy matrimony is that not only do they come together in holy matrimony, but they come together in the bedroom. Hello, somebody. And when they come together in the bedroom, they have offspring, and their offspring represent the future that God could inhabit. And through the inhabited offspring of sons of Adam and Eve, God says, that's who I'm going to occupy through is through their sons and daughters. Hope this makes sense. So you have to understand that in the, in, the garden, in the garden, God took a rib from Adam's side and made Eve. Adam woke up from his sleep, saw Eve, and said, wow, I need to go sleep more often. This is amazing. <laughs> and it was beautiful. And in, pardon me, in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that Adam was not there. Eve was deceived. You know the entire story. The, the serpent comes down the tree, deceives Eve. Eve takes the forbidden to Adam. Adam participates in the sinful act of eating what, eating what God forbid. And when they both partook of it, the Bible says that sin entered the entire race of humanity. It's why Paul says in the book of Romans, the fifth chapter, I read it to you, the 17th verse, it says that all have sinned. Now you may say, Pastor, back up because I didn't sin just because Adam sinned. Actually, you did. Because when Adam sinned, everybody who would ever live was already in the loins of Adam. And when Adam partook of what was sinful, it was so arrogant and proud and rebellious that that contaminant literally contaminated the seed. Oh, I wish I had time to teach this for you. The seed of man became contaminated with transgression and iniquity and rebellion against God. That's why Paul could rightly say in the book of Romans, the fifth chapter, all have sinned. Why? Because all of us came from Adam. I didn't come from Adam. And why do I got to suffer for Adam's mess? Had you been Adam, you'd have done what Adam did. Oh, I'm not getting no help right there. We always think we would have been perfect. How many know that there's enough messed up about all of us that would have messed the same thing up in the garden that Adam messed up? So the Bible says that sin contaminated all of humanity. I want everyone to understand me this morning. When Adam sinned, his entire family got thrown into a systemic chaos. Everything in the earth experienced the result and the offspring of Adam's transgression and failure. This virus of sin was so potent that everybody in Adam's family and that would be born through Adam's family and not just Adam's family, but the entire earth was thrown into a sinful chaos. 
The reason Paul can safely say that all humanity is sin is because we were really present in the loins of Adam in his seed when, we, when he sinned and therefore all have sinned. The sin of Adam was so destructive, so rebellious, that not one part of the earth remained unscathed by this sinful act of Adam. The plant kingdom, think of this, was thrown into upheaval. Roses grew thorns. The animal kingdom was thrown into upheaval. Snakes became venomous. The lion became vicious. Weather patterns changed. Everything about the earth, about the ecosystem on earth, was thrown into total upheaval, including Adam's family. Adam then, after his sin, begins to work by the sweat of his brow. Eve experiences the pain of childbearing. And into this chaotic dysfunction comes two sons, Cain and Abel, and we immediately see the effects of Adam's sin passed on to his sons through the seed because the Bible said that Cain rose up and murdered Abel. In fact, this sinful virus that Adam released is so potent and deadly that for several hundred years, this virus called sin and transgression ran its course throughout all humanity. And by the time we come to Noah in, Noah, in Genesis chapter 5, your Bible says in the days of Noah, everyone did evil in their hearts continually. Think about this virus of sin being just spread, just released over all humanity and you come several hundred years after Adam's transgression and by the days of Noah, there was there were no people on the planet at that time whose thoughts weren't full of malice and evil. You think that today's world is bad. And it is bad. And there's some foolishness going on in our earth. But I want to tell you, it's not like we're dealing with the kind of sin that the earth has never seen before. In the days of Noah, nobody was living holy. No, read your Bible, Genesis chapter 5 and 6. Nobody was living righteously. Nobody was doing things that were according to the, to the holy commands of God. They were living in their own sinful way. Why? Because Adam's sin and the seed of sin was transmitted and it just was like a virus destroying all humanity. So you come to Genesis chapter 6 and what does Genesis chapter 6 say? And God looked at humanity and repented that he made it. He literally said, watch this, I'm going to scrub the earth with the waters of my judgment and I'm, I'm sorry that I ever made man. God is about to scrub the earth of its sinful residue. He was about to scrub the earth of their evil ways. But Noah found grace. Oh, this is good news right here. In the sight of the Lord. May I suggest to you today that out of the, we don't know, but we can only surmise, millions of people on the planet in Noah's day, there were eight people, eight, somebody say eight. Eight is the number of new beginning. Out of all of humanity, there were eight people who were saved by the grace of God. 
It reminds me of what Jesus said in the Gospel of St. Matthew, that straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few there be that find it. That sounds grim, but it is a reminder that the way to God and the way to heaven and the way to eternal life is not this broad, open way that is pluralistic and many gods and many different ways and choose a God and choose your favorite way. No, the ark had one door. Jesus said, I am the door. And when the people in Noah's family came into the ark, when the animals entered the ark, when God brought in everyone who would be saved, the Bible said God shut the door himself and the ark sat there and everybody mocked and made fun of Noah until the rain started falling. For 40 days and 40 nights, the judgment waters of God scrubbed the earth of sin's power. 40 days and 40 nights, not a living thing was left. God wiped out all humanity and said, I'm going to start all over. And at the end of that, the waters subsided. The rain stopped falling. The fountains of the deep of the earth opened up and swallowed the waters back up. And you would think, now we're clean. God scrubbed the earth of Adam's sin. But just a few verses later, We see that the effects of Adam's fall, you can scrub the earth, but the earth is not the problem. The problem is not what's happening out in some ethereal place in the earth. The problem is what's happening on the, oh, y'all not going to help nobody today. The pr- you can scrub the earth with Ajax and 409. God was showing us, I'm going to start all over. I really believe that part of the flood was about showing humanity just how desperate and depraved we were. God was saying, I can scrub the earth. I can wash the earth. I can start all over. But the same screwed up Adam's family that existed before the flood is about to rear its ugly head just a few verses after the waters subside because the problem is when Adam sinned, it bit everybody and there was no way you could control the virus of sin. Now I'm sitting up here preaching about sin and I got people who are getting mad and gathering their things, acting like they're disinterested in a message about sin. I want to tell you right now that sin is the reason we're in the mess we're in and the problem that we're in. It's the reason the earth is groaning. It's the reason that nations are rocking and reeling because we don't just have a money problem. We don't just have a social problem. We don't even just have a political problem. We've got a sin problem. Say amen. And we keep misdiagnosing the problem and giving out all kind of prescriptions to heal the sickness that is in our world. Well, we're out here now. After God scrubbed the earth with the watery judgment of the flood, a few verses later we see the sin problem, the transgression of Adam. We see the dysfunction of Adam's family rearing its head again. Because even in Noah's family, Adam's transgression rises right back to the top, causing division and shame to come back to the family. Even after dealing with Adam's, dealing with the sin of the world, we can wash the earth, but we didn't wash Adam's nature. And in the Old Testament, we see Adam's family. Oh, God. 
You just pick just about any book in the Old Testament. I feel like preaching it right here. You walk through just about any book in the Old Testament, you'll see Adam's family. I could go anywhere, but I think I'll start in 1 Samuel with a man named David. You want to talk about Adam's family? Crazy, kooky. You want to look at, look at David. Oh, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Yeah, keep reading the story. I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't hide the chapters about David that we would hide about our own story. We want to sanctify and sanitize our testimony, acting like we've always been speaking in tongues and always had the victory. And if we rolled the unedited testimony of your family up on this screen, you would crawl under the seats and run to your car and never come back to this church again. There's enough, oh Lord have mercy, there's enough junk in all of our trunk and enough pain in all all of our past to shame every one of us. And when you read through the Old Testament and you look throughout every, every single book of the Old Testament, you see some of Adam's family. Look at David. Sweet psalmist of Israel, praise the Lord, brought the Ark of the Covenant back. Yeah. And also didn't go to battle during the time the kings went to battle. And while he was not in battle at the time he should have been in battle, he walked out on his roof and looked at his kingdom and I and as he looked out across the kingdom in the place he wasn't supposed to be at a time he wasn't supposed to be there, there was a woman taking a bath on top of her house. And while she is taking, and how many know when you bathe you don't, turn, you don't have clothes on? So he sees this woman with no clothing on and he lusts after her. The Bible said he wanted her. And David's, David's finding out very quickly, although he is the sweet psalmist of Israel and the king of Israel, and he, although he's the giant killer, and although he's, an, he's the apple of God's eye, and he's got a heart after God, although all those things are true about him, there's something messed up about him. He's part of Adam's family. Y'all not go help nobody right here. And because he's part of Adam's family, your Bible says that he had Bathsheba, the woman that he wanted. He had her husband killed by putting him on the front line of battle. And after she killed, after he killed him, he brought Bathsheba to him, took him, took her as his wife. And they, the Bible said, the Bible said they made love. Uh huh. Yes. The problem with that story is that it sounds sanitized and sanctioned by God, except God is looking upon David's sin and saying, oh God, oh God is part of Adam's family. Adam's family is rearing its ugly head in David. And if you think it stops there, it doesn't stop there. Because if David doesn't stop the curse of sin in his own family, he just keeps passing it down. And so he has a half-son named Amnon. And Amnon rapes his half-daughter named Tamar. And his other half-son, Absalom, this is something like Jerry Springer, y'all. Absalom is raging and mad at Amnon for treating his sister the way he did. So he rises up and murders his own son. And David is sitting on the throne and he's the king over Israel. But the reality of he has no authority to stop the curse of Adam's sin. David's family looks like Adam's family. Oh, I could keep going through all the whole Old Testament. I could flip over to Judges and talk about Samson, who was a part of Adam's family. Oh, yes, Samson, the one that, that, that slew the Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. Samson, the one that, that, that tore the Philistines apart, and he, and he totally wrecked the Philistine kingdom. But that same Samson, who is strong enough to rip new cords in half, is not strong enough to overcome the sensual, lustful. Oh, I wish I had time to teach in here. When Delilah comes calling his name, and Delilah comes 
knocking on his door and Delilah wants to know the secret of his strength. Yes, he is strong enough to rip the Philistines apart, but he's not strong enough to overcome his own lust. I wish I had time to preach in here today. There are some people in this room today. On one hand, you are strong enough to build a family, build a business. You're strong enough to do something great in seasons in your life for God, but there are other seasons when your weakness is exposed and you begin to see the fallacy of your own strength and it's called the Samson syndrome and there's some people sitting in here today you better get your head out of the lap of Delilah because while she promises you love she'll take you into places you never wanted to go and you will find yourself without vision you will find yourself stripped of power you will find yourself a helpless victim and a part of Adam's family I could keep going Saul was a member of Adam's family. Got caught up in pride. I wish I had time to preach in here today. The Bible said he stood head and shoulders above everybody, but the, the problem with standing head and shoulders above everybody is if you think you're head and shoulders above everybody and that you can do things without consulting God, your pride will become the, the very thing that brings your destruction. Oh, I feel like God wants me to hit that thing right there. Some of you better get rid of your pride, and I'm not talking about the kind of pride that makes you think because you got a Gucci purse and a nice wallet and a nice set of hair and you got your nails did and everything about you looks fly. I'm not talking about walking in like this because there are some people who don't demonstrate their pride outwardly but on the inside they don't pray when they make decisions and they don't consult God when they're trying to make decisions. Pride is deceptive. You can actually be quiet and introverted and full of pride. Pride is not confidence. Pride is the inability to lean and depend on God. Pride is thinking that your success is contrived in your own ability and that you did not need God to do what you just did. Pride is acting like that you've got so much authority that you don't have to consult God about what you're doing. But I want to remind you that pride goeth before a destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. I could look through all of the chapters of the Old Testament and I keep seeing this sinful replay. Ah, look in Judges. Look, look, look throughout Samuel and Kings. Look at all the crazy, jacked up, screwed up kings of Israel. I mean, you got kings that are sacrificing to false gods. You got kings that don't pray. You got kings that kill people. You got kings that kill prophets. You got kings that marry harlots from another king. There's all kind of crazy stuff in Adam's family. When you chase it down long enough, you see the sinful problem of Adam's family. In fact, I want to tell you, it was not only in the Old Testament, but if you keep reading and flipping over into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see, even in Jesus' day, Adam's family is jacked up and messed up. The Roman Empire is full of lust, full of debauchery, full of malice. They're hurting people. They're lying on people. They're raping people. If you read the history of the Roman Empire, it was full of homosexuality. It was full of all kind of promiscuity. It was full, kind of all, all, full of all kind of sexual sin. Why? Because Adam's family is a screwed up family. Now, I don't want to offend you, and I hope that you will sit there and listen to the rest of my sermon, but I do need to tell you before you leave today, uh, no matter how you dress it up, no matter how you tuck it and lift it and hide it, I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter how young, old, black, white, rich, poor, caramel, green, I don't care what color you are, I don't care where you live, I don't care how much is in your bank account, I don't care what your job is, I don't care what the bank says about your credit, I don't care where you work, I don't care who you work for, at the end of the day, everybody in this place was born from Adam's 
family. Some of us work harder than others to try to hide Adam's family. But no matter how hard you work and no matter what you do to yourself, if you're not careful, every now and then Adam will surface in the best of us. Y'all not going to say nothing in here right now. Adam surfaced in me yesterday. Have you ever been around people on the road that don't know how to drive? Oh, I know, y'all walk in a bubble of favor, and everywhere God takes you in your car, nobody dumb drives up beside you. But there's some people who come up beside me, I know they're sent by the enemy. Just to test how much Adam is still alive on the inside of me. Oh, y'all going to help me preach in here today. There's some Adam in all of us. There's some Adam in all of us. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. But we all have this one thing in common. We were born from Adam's family. And when God looked down and saw the dysfunction and the pain and the trap and the sinfulness and the depravity of man and everybody born from Adam, when he looked down and saw it, I know this, I know this message today is a little more theological and it's a, it's a little more involved than we're used to, but some of y'all are going to have to strap on some ears to hear what the Spirit is saying because I'm trying to help some of you get a roadmap to victory. And in order for you to go forward in victory, you got to be able to be real about your past and stop acting like that, that, that where you came from from doesn't want to try to hinder where you're going. Everything about our beginning was shaped in an environment that is hostile to a productive future. You say, Pastor, how do you know that about me? I know that about you because David said it in Psalm 51. I was shaped in iniquity. I was conceived. Do you understand what David is saying? On the night my mother met my father, on the night they came together, even in the moment of conception, before I had a say in the matter, I was shaped in sin. It was part of my beginning. And if you want to know, if you want to know where it came from and how it started, you got to go back to my daddy, Adam in the garden and God looked down from heaven and saw the dysfunction the pain the sin of everybody in Adam's family and God said well I've already washed the earth once so I'm not going to wash it again I'm not just going to try to clean the earth I'm going to actually start a new species this is where I'm getting ready to set somebody free right now you and I, who are born again, I don't want to offend people. And I know there's some people who are going to get mad at what I'm getting ready to say, but I want you to hear me very clearly. You are not just a sinner saved by grace. I know that you still have the propensity and the opportunity and the possibility of sinning. I am not saying that when you got saved, God took away the sinful, the, the ability to sin, Right? But I am telling you, as long as you always reckon yourself as a sinner, you will never understand who you are because of the transaction that occurred when you placed faith in God. I'm not trying to act haughty and high-minded. Please understand me. But for me to say I am still a sinner causes me to devalue the price Jesus paid on the cross when he died in my place. Jesus did not die just to make me a better version of me. 
I'm getting ready to walk around in here. Jesus did not die just to make me a better version of me. I don't need a new version of me. I need a new me. And the problem with some folk in the church is they're still trying to find out who they are in relation to who they were. And you are so drastically transformed when you become a child of God that who you are ought to look nothing like who you were before you found Jesus. Well, this just sounds too big. That's the problem. Religion has taught us we're barely going to make it to heaven. We're barely going to be transformed. We're always going to struggle and we're always going to be overcome with sin and we're always going to walk to church, come in the doors, condemned by our failures, shamed by our past, acting like we're always just going to be victims of sin. When the Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when you come into Christ, behold, all things have been made new. He made a new creature out of you. How did, y'all making me preach. How did God change Adam's family? Ready for this? He brought another Adam. The first Adam. Come on in here, Paul. Paul calls him the first Adam. Adam in Genesis is the first Adam. He's the one that screwed it up. And everybody born out of Adam was as messed up as their great, 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 great granddaddy Adam. Why? Because and we could get into splitting hairs here because the seed of man was contaminated. And everybody born of man tasted the same sin that man introduced them to. Oh, but on the backside of a Bethlehem sheep field, a little girl named Mary got visited by an angel. And the angel said, Mary, I'm getting ready to start a new family. God's getting ready to birth a new family. And I want you to know something, Mary, that the one coming through your womb will not be born of man because man is the one that got us in this mess. But the, oh, I feel God in here right now. But the one coming through the womb of Mary will be born by the Holy Ghost. In other words, when Jesus, God, when he came into being in Mary's womb, it wasn't Joseph's seed and, and, and it wasn't Mary's womb and egg that came together. It was Mary's womb borrowed by Almighty God. And when her egg was touched by the power of the Holy Ghost, through her womb would come a virgin boy named Jesus who was not of the tribe and he was not of the lineage of Adam's house. He came from God's house because he was God in the flesh. God said, I'm going to start my own family. Watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. Let me preach, let me teach. So, so Mary has Jesus. Jesus has no earthly daddy 
Oh, no, I know Joseph took care of him, but Joseph didn't donate the sperm. Can I be real? Jesus came from heaven. In order for earth to claim him as king, he had to come from a womb. But in order for heaven to call him king, he had to come through the Father. So what we have is a man who was, watch this, the son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. Oh, Lord have mercy. How did God end the crazy dysfunction and pain of Adam's family. He started his own new family with another Adam. Paul calls the Adam of Genesis the first Adam. He calls Jesus the last Adam. He does not call him the second Adam. Because if he were the second Adam, it might indicate that there was a third Adam. But the fact that Paul called him the last Adam, he said, y'all know when he wrote down, it is finished? Yeah, case closed. It's over. Adam's nature is getting ready to be dealt with. The flood could scrub the earth, but it couldn't scrub the old man. But I'm getting ready to do something through Jesus Christ that's getting ready to reach back into every Toshamaka, every generation, all the pain, dysfunction, sin, everything that broke loose in Adam's house is getting ready to be redeemed and reclaimed and restored because there is coming one from Galilee who will put it all back together God created don't miss it God created a new species some of y'all can't handle that but I'm still a human being <laughs> you are wise <laughs> yes you are a human being but you've been regime rated Regene arrayed. Something changed when you came to Christ and Christ came into you. God literally reached down into your molecular makeup, your DNA identity, and he put his hands on all the messed up stuff that Adam transmitted down through the ages. And God said, I'm going to, I, I'm going to do something in you that is supernatural. I'm going to change you. Do you know why the sin didn't quit after the flood? Because judgment never changes a heart. Judgment never changes. These people, were, I don't think they wanted to sin. I just don't think they had any power over it. But when Jesus came, watch this. He created a new species do you realize when God sees humanity, he sees them in one of two ways. He sees them as Adam, the old Adam, or the new Adam. When God looks at you, he wants to know one thing. Is it the old you or the new you? How many are in Christ today? What do I mean when I say in Christ? How many are not? You're not just that you say you're saved, but you're actually living in Jesus. Yeah. 
Okay, for those of you living in Christ, when you came into Christ, literally you became something that you had never been before. It wasn't that God took all your old things and made them new. He made you completely new from head to toe. Now you say, Pastor, I didn't have that experience. Listen to me carefully. You didn't feel like you had that experience. But feeling is not about fact. Now, some of us in here just didn't really get saved. I ain't trying to be mean. There's some people. I prayed last night as I was praying. God, I pray that people who are deceived by religion and think they're saved will come into a revelation that they're really sitting in church, but they're not born again. Because there are people sitting in multiplied thousands of churches across America this morning listening to sermons and they want just enough God to get out of hell but they have not tasted enough God to declare and testify that their nature has been changed. I don't have time to go down that road. When God sent Jesus, he sent Jesus to start a new family. And the way he created a new family was by sending this Last Adam, Jesus, who would restore and put back together everything Adam's transgression had destroyed. The Bible says that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, for you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people who've been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus. What is the point? The point is when Jesus saved you, he made all of us a new nation. Did you catch that? A royal priesthood, a holy nation. Well, where's our territory? If we a nation, where's our territory? And what kind of flag we got? And who's our president? We think about nations like the earth thinks about nations. And so we want to know if we're a Christian nation, where's our territory? You ready for this? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness. That what, is my na- what is my territory? The whole earth. Africa, Asia, Australia, Antarctica, North and South America. I'm telling you right now, if you ever get a revelation of the kingdom of God, you will stop being trapped in these inferior discussions about, uh, uh, oh, here we go, about race, politics. Stop being identified How else can I say it, Jesus? Would you please anoint me to say it today? I've been saying it for five years. The church will never be demonstrating the kingdom as long as the church is trapped in conversations that Satan created by dividing us and separating us according to our differences until you and I, no matter where we came from, what color we are, how much money we have, what political party we're a part of, that is not what defines us. We are not defined by this world's definition. We are one nation. We've been redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing less and nothing more. And to hell with every spirit that divides the body of Christ. You sound mad. I am at the devil because we are one and he works over time to make us feel like we are many. 
We are many and there are differences, but the differences we have cannot divide us when we recognize that the blood that saved us made us one nation. We are one tribe. And do you know how much we empower this narrative of division when on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, we go to our white churches. I'm going to say it and make half of you mad, and I really don't care. We go to our white churches and our black churches and our Hispanic churches, and we think heaven's going to have a corner for them, and heaven's going to have a pew for them, and you are out of your living mind. Tell the truth. Hey, America, if you want to know how to heal our wounds, find the cross, find the blood, find the name of Jesus. Let God be true and every man be a liar. Hallelujah. How do you break... I didn't know I was going here. How do you break the color line? You preach the kingdom. That's how you do it. You don't, cow, you don't cower down to this spirit that is loose in America. That it is a demon. Do you hear what I'm telling you? It's a demon spirit of division. I had a dream some time ago. I think I've told this dream. I was in my house in my bedroom walking through my bedroom, and there were four terrorists asleep on my bed. And I thought, I'm going to tiptoe, be real quiet, and get my gun. Somebody said, you got a gun? Eighteen of them. <laughs> Second Amendment embracer right here, baby. Absolutely. Pastor, I don't know what to think about you. Just think about me. Hallelujah. I was tiptoeing through my, my bedroom. There four terrorists were asleep on my bed. Tiptoeing through my bedroom. All of a sudden, an old TV sitting in my, in my bedroom clicked on without anybody turning it on. And a news anchor, who I will not mention the name of, came on. And when he came on and started talking loudly, he stirred up the four terrorists laying in my bed. The Spirit of God said to me when I woke up, this is four years ago, I had this dream on memory lane when we lived in Ottawa. I woke up under the fear of God shaking in my bed. God said the media will stir up these cells and pockets and, and this hate is going to be broadcast across. Now you don't, listen to me, I'm not here to say fake news, real, I don't, that's not my argument, I don't get into that nonsense. I'm telling you right now, there is a spirit. It is the spirit and the power of darkness that is trying to divide and destroy. How shall a house stand if it is divided against one another? It cannot stand. Satan hates America, he wants to destroy the nation, and he wants to 
to even make the church complicit with it until we preach the love of God and we demonstrate the kingdom of God and we lose our racial prejudice and we lose our racial hate. I'm telling you, we'll never. I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience right now. God is wanting to say something to this house and to this city. We cannot be complicit with division. We have got to demonstrate the kingdom of our Lord and show this world what it looks like for heaven to come down and kiss earth for red and yellow, black and white, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, Democrat and Republican to come together and say the kingdom is bigger than that. I feel like something just happened. Where am I at? What am I preaching? Okay. Jesus created a new family. But he didn't just, I'm closing with this. He didn't just deal with Adam and his family by creating a new one. He actually killed the old one. Yeah. I came today to tell you something. God didn't just come to create a better version of the old you. Come on, guys. He came to kill the old you. I am highly offended, Brother Wallace, that you would suggest God would kill the old me. Well, that's the reason some of you have no joy today because the old you looks like a weightlifter and the new you looks like a string bean waving a white flag. The sanctified, born-again side of you, thank you, brothers, uh, is, is begging for strength while the old you is large and in charge. Today I came to tell you that when God wanted to deal with Adam's family, he not only created a new one, he killed the old you. Where's my Bible at? Give me that Bible right there, please. Let me read this to you. Some of you don't even know this is in your Bible. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Jesus did not just die for you. Jesus died as you. I'm going to teach this. I'm going to read the scripture and then I'm going to teach and then I'm going to go sit down. I don't have to add anything to this. Romans 6 verse 4. Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with Jesus. This is Romans 6 verse 4 in the Passion Translation. So that when the Father's glory, 
Can you put that up on the screen, Romans 6, verse 4? When the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We, say we, say we, have been co-resurrected with Jesus so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. Romans 6, verse 5 in the Passion Translation, Chad. Verse 5, for since we are permanently grafted into Jesus to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. Could it be any clearer? Our former identity is now forever deprived of its power. I'm in verse 6. For we were co-crucified with Jesus to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us. We had a stronghold of sin within us. What dealt with the stronghold of sin? You ready for this? The fact that we co-died with Jesus when he died. It's not just that he died for me. He literally died as me. Because the old me was the problem. Keep reading. For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Look at verse 7. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. Listen to this. Verse 8. And if we were co-crucified with Jesus, we know that we will also share in his life. And obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. Say that with me. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. I want to thank Brother Russell Ford for bringing this casket today. Can we give God thanks for him? I'm almost done. I got some sins here. We need to pray for Chris who went and bought this this morning. (laughs) This casket will one day hold a dead person. Oh, my God, we got a bong. What is that? I mean, when I said get some things, y'all went back in your old ways, didn't you? I mean, you went, I don't even know what this is. 
that looks dangerous. <laughs> Whatever. Don't ever touch that again in your life. You understand me? Hold it. <laughs> that casket will one day hold a dead man. I dare you to walk up to the dead man. You want some cigarettes? What? Want some of this? Want some speed? Want some drugs? Want some Budweiser? That's a problem for some of you. You keep drinking Bud, but you don't get any wiser. <laughs> Mr. Dead Man, doesn't this tempt you? Don't you want some of it? How about this, Mr. Dead Man? You want some porn? Yeah, it got quiet because there's a lot of people struggling with it. Mr. Dead Man, don't you want to look at these images? No. You know why he doesn't want porn? You know why he doesn't want Budweiser? You know why he doesn't want speed and crack? Because he's dead. And the reason some of you keep going back to that junk is because the enemy's told you it ain't dead in you yet. And before I end this sermon today, I came to tell you what Paul said in the book of Romans. Jesus crucified the old you. The old man is dead. There's a reason why you're not bound anymore to it. Because the thing in you that wanted it has been dealt with by the cross of Jesus. And the thing that is alive inside of you is the spirit of the living God. Somebody shout, the old man is dead. So, I'm through, stand, I'm through. The next time the devil brings a temptation to you, here's where we lose our victory. We allow it to talk to us as if the thing it wants in us is still active and alive. You've got to learn how to by faith when the temptation comes. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 6. Reckon your old man to be dead. Consider it dead. The person in me that used to want the garbage in this is no longer who controls my life. I am a new creation. Do you understand when you got born again, literally what happened is that the person in you that wanted this garbage, Jesus nailed it to a cross. It died. And when Jesus got up on the third day, you got up with him. Not only did the old you die, but the new you came to life. Ha! Ah!
why when he hung on the cross and said it is finished he was saying Adam's nature is finished Adam's transgression is finished the work of the old man is finished and we're getting ready to rise in the newness of power into a new creature Jesus some of you have got to put up a no trespassing sign to your enemy. And the next time he comes, shift right here, Brock. The next time he comes, and you, man, I deal with so many people, y'all. Pastors of this staff deal with so many people. Elders in this church deal with so many people who say, if I'm really saved, why am I struggling? If I'm really saved, why am I still tempted? It's because you haven't told the enemy that that old man is dead. He will come back. Paul said that you actually have to reckon yourself dead. The part of you that wanted that sin is not the part of you that runs your life anymore. What about my lust? Stop being identified more for Adam's family than for Christ's family. Yes, we deal with lust. There's some brothers in here and sisters in here right now. You are burning up with the fire of lust, and you hate it. You try to discipline yourself out of it. You, you try to break it in your own power. It is not your power that will set you free. Would you please take it from somebody who's telling you by experience, I could not set myself free from what I hated about me. I had to reckon that man was dead. It's one reason why we don't walk in the newness of life. It's because we spend more time being identified and listening to and controlled by our old man rather than the new man that is in us in Christ. You're a Christian, and 30 years into this, you're still struggling with the same pet sin. You know why? Because you haven't reckoned that man to be dead. Jesus didn't come just to make you a better version of you. He came to kill the old you. Well, Brother Wallace, that's so harsh. Yeah, but the good news is when he killed the old you, it was so he could raise the new you into a place of life. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Who is he that lays a charge against God's elect? It is Christ who died, yea, rather that is risen. Who can lay a charge against those who are in Christ? Who can look at you and say, you know what, you're not fit for the kingdom of God? You've been delivered and set free. Shame has been broken off of your life. The issue is not forgiveness of sin. The issue is walking in identity. You are not the old you. The old you is not just put on a shelf. Jesus nailed it to a cross. Why do I always cuss? <laughs> I always say bad words and I can't control it. I understand. Put that on the cross. Leave it there. Stop taking off the cross, but Jesus nailed to it. Why can't I stop looking at pornography? I'll tell you why. 
because you can't in yourself and in your own strength to stop it. But when you look at that promise in Romans, in Romans that he nailed the old you to the cross, when that, th- listen to me carefully, this is practical, when that temptation and desire rises up inside of you and you think, I can't live without this, that's the old man. And Paul said, you are to look at that old man and reckon him, consider him, decide that that man is dead so that your body will no longer serve a life of sin. Your body is neutral. It's not, ne- it's not evil or, or glorious yet. It's neutral. It is what you make it. It will follow what you allow to lead it. So take your body and use it as a member of righteousness and mortify the deeds, Paul said. Kill the deeds of your flesh. How does that happen, Pastor? Reckon, consider the old man dead. There's a reason why Adam's family doesn't have to destroy the rest of humanity. It's because God sent the last Adam who birthed a new species, a new family of people. Do you understand that your place in the kingdom of God and your place in the family of God trump everything else about you? I'm serious. I am not a white Christian. You're not an African American or a Hispanic or Latino Christian. You are a child of God. Period. Everything else is secondary to my identity in God. Otherwise, we're trapped in a conversation that leads us into greater futility. Some of us need today freedom. I didn't come today to make you just feel better about yourself. I didn't come today just to give you some positive confession. I came today to allow some of us to bury the old man, recognize what's already been done in Christ. Some of you are dead and you don't even know it. The old man is dead. That's why your attitude is going to change. Jesus, do it today. Your desires and passions are going to change. Your affections are going to be transformed today. If you're in, in this room right now, heads bowed, eyes closed, we're leaving in a few moments, but you would say, Pastor Kevin, I needed this message today. I need the old man to die. First thing I want to do is pray for people who are not saved. You're not born again. You know in your heart. I'm not asking you, do you go to church or have you been to church or never been to church or nothing like that. I'm asking you right now, if you know you're not right with God and you need to get right with God, when I count to three, lift your hand. Say, Pastor Kevin, pray for me. I need to get right with God. One, two, three. Right now. Just right where you are. Yep. Anyone else, just shoot that hand up and pull it right back down. I need to get right with God. God bless you, sweetheart. God bless you, sir. I see hands up. God bless every one of you who put your hands in the air. The Lord bless you. Today's going to be a day where your life's going to be changed forever. You're in this place today and you love God. You're saved. But the old man, you need to consider the old man dead and walk in a revelation of newness of life in Christ. If that's you, lift your hand right now. Yep. That's what I thought. Thank you, Lord. First thing I want to do is everyone help me with this. Whether you've known the person your whole life or you never met them before today, there's a person on your left and on your right. Ask them this question. 
Do you need someone to go to the altar and pray with you? And if you lifted your hand, or you should have, when I said, do you need to get right with God? If you lifted your hand, or you should have, would you just come stand in this altar today? We're going to pray, and God's going to save you today. Ask the person on your left and right right now. Come on. Do you need someone to go to the altar with you? And if you lifted your hand, or you should have, would you come stand with me this morning? I'll meet you right here. We're going to pray. Jesus is going to save people today if they'll come. Anyone at all before we pray. Anyone at all. Anyone at all. God bless you. Thank you for coming. God bless you. God bless you back there for coming. Thank you for coming. Come on. Anyone else? Yeah, come on. Don't be ashamed. This is a house of love. Come on. I want to be saved. I want to be right with God. Come on. Come on. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Come on. Come on, pal. Come on. This is good news. This is good news. All of you stand right here. I want everyone else who lifted your hand a moment ago said, I'm saved. I love God. But I need to reckon myself dead. There's too much old man alive in my life. And every time the enemy comes tempting me, I give in to it because I don't consider it dead. And I want it to die today. If, if you lifted your hand for that, I want you to come stand right over here. Don't be ashamed. Come on, today, we, this is a place of revelation today. Our minds are coming into revelation today. God bless you. Come on. Come on, this is good. There's no, this is family. We're not here today to inspect. We're just here today to preach and teach the truth. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is coming to life on the inside of some of us. God's giving us revelation of freedom. Come stand right here, please. Pastor Gary and pastors and elders, I want you to come pray with those who come to give their heart to Christ. And I want everyone else to stretch your hands toward this altar right now. Would you pray with me right now for people who are struggling with sin? You're struggling with sin. The only part of you, child of God, the only part of you that wants anything to do with sin is the old man. And that old man has been crucified on the cross. Let him die. Let her die. Reckon and consider yourself to be dead to it. Satan cannot tempt someone to do something if the person he is tempting is dead to it. I'm dead to it. Thank you, Jesus. Elder, make sure right here this dear brother is being prayed with. Stretch your hands right now. Come on, God, we just ask for a spirit of grace and breakthrough and deliverance to come. There are people who should have moved that didn't move. God, I'm just asking you that everyone in this room today, Lord God, everyone in this room today, Lord God, who is hungry for transformation and change, Lord, the things we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing. And the things that we do want to do, we find it so hard to do sometimes. So help us to know what to crucify and how to live in victory, Lord. The old man is dead. Jesus, you nailed it to the cross. And today, God, I pray they would be raised up in the newness of life in Christ, that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is breaking them free from the law of sin and death today. Father, they will not be bound another day in their life. I thank you for setting every part of them free in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you today, God, that chains of sin are being broken today off of people in the house of the Lord. Yokes of addiction and yokes of compromise and yokes of oppression are being broken off of their life today. 
Father, it is the old man. It is the flesh. It's that old part of us that you have dealt with at Calvary. Today, I pray that we would reckon it, consider it to be dead. You created a new species, a new family, a new creature in us when you saved us. And not only did you create a new us, you crucified the old us. We thank you. Come on, buddy. That's right. Come on. There's still time. You know, God may still be working on some hearts. Just come on if you need to come. There's no pressure. There, 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 you, you just come as you are. Come, come and get more of him. Come and draw closer. Come on. Let's just lift our hands up right here in this moment. Spirit of God, thank you for wisdom and revelation bringing us into a place of freedom. Freedom of mind. Freedom of thought. I thank you, Father, that we've been born of the Spirit of God. We've not just been born of religion. We've not just been born of church. We've been born by the Spirit of God. Our affections are new. Our desires are changing. Holy Spirit, you are recalibrating us today to reckon some stuff that the enemy has had access to. That man is dead. That old man is dead. That old woman is dead. A dead man, a dead woman doesn't sin. God, we thank you that you crucified the old causing us to walk in the newness of life in Christ. Holy Spirit. King Jesus, you're the name we're lifting high, your glory. Breaking up the earth and sky, revival. We want to see your kingdom Listen, don't forget Wednesday night at 7. Let these precious people keep praying. Pastor Tobin, I want you all to sing this a few more times. Don't forget Wednesday night at 7 p.m. I want you here for Revival Nights. Pastor Corey Prather and his choir are coming. It's going to be wonderful. I want you to go in the peace of God. Have a blessed week. Let these in the altar. Don't forget tonight, 7 p.m., Big Daddy Weed. Get tickets in the lobby on your way out. Join us tonight for a night of worship. It's going to be powerful.